Okay, so today I'm going to cover Luke chapter 6, verse 35 through uh, around 42, 43. And the reason that we're doing this this way is because there was an audio snafu at the church uh, Sunday, and so the audio didn't get recorded. Uh, the video got recorded, you know, and there's okay audio from it, uh, from the actual video camera, and so that video is posted. But for all of you that are listening by podcast that uh, subscribe to the Luke or the sermon series, I wanted to make sure there wasn't just a gap in the tapes for this section of Luke make you think I skipped it or whatever and so we're going to cover this uh, this way Um, and today we're going to actually dive into a very controversial section in this sermon uh, the sermon on the plain that Jesus gives in Luke chapter 6 we're going to be talking about a statement that Jesus makes in this sermon that you're going to definitely need to understand According to the world's point of view, uh, Christianity consists of really just a single command, you know, uh, and and this is what the world thinks. Uh, there's there's really only one command that's more important and supersedes all the others. Uh, there's really only one command that you can never break. If you've ever read this section in, in uh, uh, of Scripture or Matthew in the, the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew, you probably already know what command I'm talking about. It is this section that Jesus says, Judge not and you won't be judged. Judge not lest ye be judged. Uh, I don't care who you are. Everybody knows this command. You, you'll you run into folks who've never cracked a binding on a Bible uh, who have this this verse memorized. Uh, people who couldn't quote John 3.16 to save their life. Um, it's become the clarion call of our generation. Uh, and of course, you and I know there's a lot of misunderstandings about this verse. Uh, and you know, and what it has to do with Jesus' sermon here, and we're going to talk about that, but uh, what I want you also to see as we, we look at this is that this is indeed a real command of Christ. I mean, it's right here in black and white, or red writing if you got a red letter Bible. Uh, so you and I as believers, you and I as Christians, we can't just dismiss it because it has been misused and abused so often by other people. We have to understand truly what it's saying, and we have to seek to obey it, and it it, it ends up being a uh, a pretty convicting uh, command, a pretty um, a pretty uh, good sized mirror that's set in front of us that shows us our hearts and shows us what we're supposed to be. So, before we before we just dive into all of this, let me actually read the text for you. We're going to start. I want to start in verse thirty five. If you got your Bible, uh, Luke chapter six, verse thirty five. And the reason I'm going to start back in verse thirty five, which we read last week, uh, is because the the context is very important to understand what Jesus means by "do not judge." And so we remember we we have already talked about in this sermon. He, he has shown us the beatitudes. He's shown us those are the characteristics of the born again heart uh, doesn't mean perfection it means that you mourn over your sin it means that you are are broken over sin that you hunger for righteousness and he also showed us in that same vein that we are to love our enemies and we saw the the nature of that command to love your enemies and to to uh, to uh, uh, seek to uh, treat them not the way that they treat us when they hate us for Christ's sake when they persecute us for his name's sake but to respond to that with love And that's really the same context Jesus is talking about here. In verse 35, he says, but love your enemies. 
Do good and lend, expecting nothing in return, and your reward will be great, and you will be sons of the Most High, for he himself is kind to the ungrateful and evil. Uh, Then verse 36 says, Be merciful just as your Father is merciful. Do not judge, and you will not be judged. Do not condemn, and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Give, and it will be given to you. Uh, They will pour into your lap a good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over. For by your standard of measure, it will be measured to you in return. And he also spoke a parable to them. A blind man cannot guide a blind man, can he? Will they not both fall into a pit? A uh, A student is not above his teacher, but everyone, after he has been fully trained, he will be like his teacher. Why do you look at the speck that's in your brother's eye and do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, brother, let me take out the speck that is in your eye when you yourself do not see the log that is in your eye? You hypocrite. First, take the log out of your own eye. And then you will see clearly to take out the speck that is in your brother's eye. So when we look at these, this section of Scripture, it's important for us to take it as a whole. Jesus is speaking about the nature of what our love to our enemies looks like like he's speaking about what not uh, what love does as he did in the earlier section talking about do good to those who hate you bless those who persecute you but he's he's showing us what the heart looks like that actually loves their enemies and it's a hard command for us to understand We'll get to do not judge in a moment, but before we do, we need to make sure we understand he's telling us what that love, what that love looks like in our hearts. He says, be merciful just as your father is merciful. He's talking about mercy to the enemies that we're supposed to love. Remember verse 35, but love your enemies, do good to those, lend expecting nothing in return. Your reward will be great. You will be sons of the most high for he himself is kind to the ungrateful and evil men. The very next word, be merciful just as your father is merciful. It's the same context. We are to love our enemies by being merciful to them just as our father is merciful to them. Now, when we talk about when we talk about uh, uh, God's mercy, uh, you know, we are, we're, we're seeing, we, we tend to forget just how patient, kind, and merciful uh, God is. Um, of course, you know, you can see in the magnitude of God's mercy toward us in salvation that he provides for our sin to bring us into right relationship with him and the giving of his son to die on a cross. I mean, you just can't get any more of a, a beautiful picture of grace and mercy than that. But what I want to show you today is that our God is also merciful on a daily basis, incredibly merciful to the lost and dying world, to the rebel sinner, to those who hate him, to those who are his enemies. I mean, just think about before you were saved. The Bible says that you were uh, an enemy of God. The mindset on the flesh is enmity against God. That, that means hatred. Enmity means hatred. Even as enemies of God, haters of God, rebels who seek to dethrone him and lift ourselves up to the status of sovereign, God was merciful to us. God is merciful today because he's truly sovereign. I mean, he controls all things. He, I mean, he alone provides every beat of man's heart and every breath that he breathes. Uh, we're alive today because God has allowed it to be so. At every moment, every moment, every second that ticks by on the clock, the sinner deserves nothing but wrath condemnation and judgment. Uh, We don't deserve anything good at all. But you and I, 
no, as I mean, as well as we possibly can, that more often than not, even even as a lost person, God allows people, sinners, enemies, to enjoy the pleasures of this life. He allows us to enjoy His creation. Today, there's going to be people who are lost, who hate God, who are rabidly seeking to lift themselves up to the status of their own God, serving themselves. God is going to allow them to have a good day today. He's going to allow them to enjoy the creation, maybe a good sunset or a walk on the beach or, you know, something like that, you know, all, all, all these kind of things. He's going to allow them to enjoy I don't know, family, hobbies, a fun time, a good meal. He, we're going to experience the pleasures of things in this life. There's so many things that people enjoy. I just can't begin to even list them all. And even those who are lost and enemies of God are going to enjoy different kinds of these blessings from God at every moment. He does, we deserve nothing but condemnation and wrath, but yet more often than not, the moments of our lives are filled with pleasure. I mean, they're filled with the enjoyment of our families, of our hobbies, of our entertainment, of the creation, of just on and on and on. When we deserve condemnation and what we receive is a moment of enjoyment, that's that's God's mercy. Today, the Bible says that it's going to rain. Uh, it rains on the just and the unjust. Today, there is a godly, devout, Christian, born-again farmer that's going to receive rain on his crops. Right now, as I'm recording this, it's raining here in, the, in West Tennessee. And there are farmers in this area that are godly folks, that love the Lord, that serve Jesus with their heart. And it's raining on their crops. And, you know, I don't know if they're happy about that or sad at the moment, but it's raining. It's providing for them and at the same time in this area there are there are farmers that are rabid atheists that hate God that you know could do could go uh, get along fine so they think without God and would rather not even talk about it and it's raining on their crop as well it rains on the just and the unjust and so what I want you to see here is is that right now God is merciful, not just to us who are in Christ. He's merciful to his enemies. How long did you live in rebellion before God saved you? How long did God continue, uh, continually allow you to enjoy things of life and moments of pleasure all the while you and I were were spitting in his face and rejecting the great gift giver uh, while we took pleasure in the gifts that he offered. That, my friend, is mercy. That's a mercy that you and I can't comprehend. Christ is, he's calling us here to be merciful as he is merciful. He's not commanding us to do something that he hasn't done. He's comm- He's continually merciful and, and he loves the lost. Even though they're enemies, even though they're his enemies, they enjoy the fruits of his mercy every day, every good and perfect gift comes from God. This is how this is how we are to love our enemies and, and people in general. We're to be merciful to them, just as God is. They have they've hated and cursed God much more than they ever will hate or curse you. And if God can be merciful and love them in the midst of all that, then certainly we must also, if that's what He commands us, commands us to do. And in the same vein, this has to do with loving your enemies, loving people. Uh, It says to be merciful, and the opposite of that is where our next text comes in, our next verse comes in, where it says, do not judge and you will not be judged. Now, 
He says that the love for our enemies here is first is a merciful love, and second, it's a love that does not it does not condemn. Um, and so, the reality is, most of the world, when they quote "Judge not, lest ye be judged," they use this verse to say that you and I, as Christians, are n- never allowed to identify anything in any way, shape, or form is sin. Uh, you can't say that this behavior or that one is sinful or wrong or anything like that because that's violating violating this command, or so they say. But the reality is that this understanding of the verse is it's just not, it's not what Jesus means. I mean, if that were so, then Jesus would be nullifying all of Scripture. I mean, in fact, he'd be contradicting what he says in this very sermon. And a little later in verse 44, he's going to tell us that a tree is known to be good or bad by the fruit that it produces. Uh, we are to know a tree by its fruit. That's what it says in this sermon. So if we're never allowed to make a decision or be discerning about whether something's good or bad, right or wrong, how in the world are we supposed to know a tree by its fruit? How are we supposed to ever know anything at all? Uh, But besides that, really, pretty much all the New Testament instructs us that we are to make a determination about whether something is right or wrong, good or evil. Let me read a few verses to you just so you can get the feel of what I'm talking about. Uh, In John 7, 24, it says, Judge not according, this is Jesus speaking, Judge not according to appearance, but judge righteous judgments. John 20, verse 23 uh, it says, Jesus speaking to the church in general, he says, whosoever sins you remit, or the disciples in general, whosoever sins you remit, they are remitted unto them. Whosoever sins you retain, they are retained. How are you supposed to know that someone has sinned at all if you're not allowed to judge, if you're not allowed to discern? Ephesians 5.11 says, and have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather reprove them. How, how in the world do you think you can reprove any work of darkness when you're not allowed to make a determination. First John 4 1 says, Beloved, believe not every spirit, but try the spirits, whether they are of God, because many false prophets are gone out into the world. How dare you call someone a false prophet? Isn't that judging them? How are you supposed to believe not every spirit or try the spirits, prove, test the spirits, if you're not allowed to judge? Second um, Thessalonians 3 6. Now we command you, brethren, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, that you withdraw yourselves from every brother that walketh disorderly. You're not allowed to say that a brother is disorderly. That'd be judging. You see how foolish it is to put this verse in that in that uh, in that mindset against all of the rest of Scripture. It's pretty clear that the command to judge not is not telling us that we're not allowed to discern good from evil or right or wrong. That's not what Jesus means. But here's the thing: you can't just stop there. We can't just toss this verse out because it's been used wrongly by the world. Jesus said it, so we've got to trust it and we've got to apply it. So what we need to do is take this statement in context and let Jesus himself explain to us what he means. He, if you, it doesn't take a, uh, a supernatural, uh, you know, hermeneutic to understand what judge not lest you be judged means because Jesus is going to explain it. There's no, there's no hidden secret or anything like that. It's right here in the text. And so when we look at judge not lest you be judged or judge not so you will not, uh, you will not be judged, uh, we need to understand that he clarifies that in the same verse. He clarifies it and it's called a, 
It's called opposition, not opposition with an O, opposition, but opposition with an A, opposition. He sits condemning right up next to judge to show us what it means to judge. He says, judge not, you won't be judged. Condemn not, and you won't be condemned. Condemn explains, condemn explains what judge means. And so when we're talking about judging, we're not talking about making just a discernment. We're not talking about making a decision about what's right and wrong. We're talking about being condemning. We're talking about condemning others. And to pardon or forgive is the opposite of that. So it says, judge not, lest ye be not judged, or lest ye be judged, and condemn not, lest ye be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. It gives us the opposite of the command. So what we're talking about here doesn't take really a rocket scientist to get the gist of what Jesus is telling us here. You and I know the difference between uh, a heart of love and one of condemnation. This is how we love others. It's the difference between uh, if you are lovingly warning people about sin, about judgment, and calling them to redemption, calling them to repentance, calling them to turn so they will not be condemned, that's a big difference from saying, you know, I just hope that person faces justice. I hope they get what they deserve. It's the difference between gladly hoping a sinner goes into punishment and receives justice for their sins and the heart that desperately desires that the person would turn from sin and be saved. You can warn someone about a sinful lifestyle, but the point the point is uh, about your motivation. What's your motivation? Do you, do you just want to see them burn and face judgment? Are you consigning that person to hellfire because they rightly deserve it? Or are you hoping and praying for their redemption, warning them that they, they don't have to face judgment? They too can come to Christ. We're talking about not just an act of judging here, but an attitude. I can spare you the Greek lesson, but it's the commands in the present tense that which denotes a continual aspect, an ongoing thing. It's a it's an attitude of judging. Uh, don't be a judging person. Don't be judging. It's a hard attitude, one that desires reconciliation and redemption of our enemies, not their judgment and their condemnation. Now, it, it, that's a hard thing to model, really, because you know, you know as well as I, when an enemy comes and, let's just say, attacks you or slanders you or curses you, the things that we've seen in this same sermon, he says to bless those who curse you, um, to uh, pray for those who despitefully use you, that's what he's saying here. When someone despitefully uses you or slanders you or abuses you, our knee-jerk reaction is, to, is not just to get them back, but to seek justice. I want to see them burn for what they've done. I want to see them, I want to see justice done. Jesus is telling us here, that's a condemning attitude. This is how we pray. This is why we pray for those who despitefully use us. He's telling us we are to seek their redemption. We are to uh, seek their salvation. It is absolutely, um, it's absolutely against the nature of, of Christ and of God for uh, us to desire um, justice for other people while seeking mercy for ourselves. It's hypocritical. And that's what it says here in this text. It's, it's hypocritical for us to desire justice and punishment for others while we seek mercy for ourselves. Um, it says that if you condemn others, 
you will be condemned. And if you forgive, you will be forgiven. Now, this is also kind of controversial. I mean, does it mean that in order to go to heaven, we just need to forgive others? I mean, we don't have to trust in Christ or repent of our sin. Uh, of course, you know, that's that's not Jesus's intention. Besides, I mean, if you, you, you think that way and you, you take these verses to mean that, uh, that, I mean, if you take it to mean that, then really you are painting yourself into a corner anyway because you better hope that's not the case you better hope that's not true because that means that your forgiveness is dependent upon your perfect forgiveness of other people so you better hope the test of heaven isn't isn't you know how well you've forgiven other people if that's so none of us are going to heaven so the point here is that it's hypocritical for you not to be merciful and forgiving of those who hate you because you too deserve condemnation and you need to be forgiven you have no right to withhold forgiveness to others because you yourself were an enemy of god and you've been forgiven we we have already seen in this sermon that jesus showed us the characteristics of the one who is blessed and right before god that person isn't perfect but they mourn over their sin and they understand their spiritual poverty they're they're not self-righteous they hunger and thirst uh, for the righteousness of another so you see if you're self-righteous and condemn others hoping they receive justice and you don't have you, you don't have any reason to think that your heart's been changed you don't have any reason to have assurance that your sins have been forgiven and that they will ever be forgiven when you stand before the judgment bar of God the self-righteous person who is hypocritically desired of wrath and punishment for others, they won't be forgiven uh, because their heart has not been changed. They don't mourn over their sin. Their, their state of mind shows that they are the ones in the woe section of this sermon. Woe to you who are full. Woe to you who are satisfied. Woe to you who laugh now, for you will mourn. They're demonstrating that they have not received forgiveness, nor will they uh, in their current state. And then Jesus shows us that the the one who loves as commanded by Christ is is the one who gives that mercy and forgiveness generously. He's not stingy with mercy. He he doesn't make enemies jump through hoops before that forgiveness will be given. He gives it generously knowing that that everything will be given back to him by God himself. This is this is the same principle that we've seen as, as forgive and you will be forgiven. It says give and it shall be given to you. Give mercy as God gives it. Be merciful as God is merciful is what it said. If you if you ever wondered about that, you know, the whole shaken together, pressed down statement, Jesus is using a picture of buying grain or, or corn or whatever in the marketplace. Uh, when you went to buy something like that in the market, it was uh, it was important that right scales were used so people weren't cheated. So the seller's procedure was, you know, it involved measuring out the grain in, the, in a, a container or whatever, uh, and he would fill the container, shake it together so the seed or whatever it was would settle down in there, and then he would pack it down uh, to make sure every inch of free space it was covered up with seed so the person would be given the right measure uh, jesus goes beyond this saying not only will you receive the right amount packed down and shaken together but 
if you give your love, mercy, forgiveness, you'll receive back more. He says you will be running over. Your cup will be running over and people, men will give to your bosom. Whatever measure that you give, it will be measured to you in return. And so when it says, when God is telling us to forgive as we've been forgiven, to give mercy as we have received mercy, he's not telling us, it's not a one-way street. We are, we are, um, uh, I don't want to say repaid because the reality is we've already received mercy. We've already received the mercy. And so uh, it says to be merciful as God has been merciful. Now, what what we've seen there, if you just take those sections a piece at a time, what you've already seen is that this love for our enemies that we are to have, this love for our enemies is one that it is not condemning. But it's merciful to our enemies. It's not condemning, but merciful. It's not hypocritical in that we understand that we too deserve condemnation. It's not hypocritical, but it gives that mercy freely. I don't know about you, but that's a whole lot more convicting to me than just taking judge not. You won't be judged to mean you never discern good and evil. It's a whole lot more serious to, to think that what Jesus is telling us here is to be merciful to our enemies. And he shows us in the next the next few sections, and we'll, we'll wind this up, is he, he shows us that the reason that we do this the reason that we're called to be merciful as God is merciful and to love our enemies as he loves his enemies, uh, the reason that we do this is, uh, well, for a couple of reasons. For the, the first thing we see is that we are to lead people to God by showing who God is. Jesus gives this parable showing this. He says, uh, he also spoke a parable to them. A blind man cannot guide a blind man, can he? Will they not both fall into the pit? He's showing them the illustrations. Look, if you if this is not your mindset, if this is not your heart, if you haven't been changed, you're blind and you have nothing to offer a lost and dying world. You have nothing to offer your enemies if the only thing you care about is justice and judgment for them and mercy for yourself. He says you're a blind man. And if you he was specifically talking about Pharisees and religious leaders. Leaders here, if you if you think you're going to grab the hand of somebody and lead them to God, you're a blind man leading a blind man, and what's going to happen? You're both going to perish. He told the Pharisees in another place. He said, "You uh, you you go across the ocean to to make a convert, and when you do make a convert, you make him twice the son of hell that you are." And so he says, "Look, really, if you live this way, if you act this way, if your heart is motivated in this fashion, the only thing you can do is make them like you." You can only make them religious. You can only make them self-righteous. You can only make them into a carbon copy of you, and both of you will receive condemnation. So he says, unless you are loving enemies, unless you are forgiving and merciful, seeking their redemption, seeking to turn them uh, to Christ or see the love of Christ manifest in their hearts, you have nothing to say. You have nothing to offer them. The next thing that he shows us is that we are we are to be like Christ. In verse 40, he says, a pupil, a student is not above his teacher, but everyone after he has been fully trained will be like his teacher. Understand, will be like his master. What he's saying, Jesus is saying here is we are to be like 
him. Jesus is our teacher. Jesus is our master. And what did he do? He loved his enemies. He loved them uh, to the point of his death. He was always reaching to the brokenhearted. He was always reaching to the sinner. He was always, uh, uh, you know, reaching out. We talked about Levi already. Uh, people came to the this dinner party at Levi's house and all the people, the religious people were like, Jesus, how can you be in this house filled with tax collectors and sinners? They want judgment for the tax collectors and sinners. They they wanted mercy for themselves. And the question that this asks us here today is, um, are you are you more holy than Jesus? Jesus was the only sinless one who ever lived. Jesus was perfect, never breaking the law of God, and he was merciful to his enemies. So he says, you're not, as a student, you're not above your teacher, uh, but When you have been fully trained, when you are mature, when you're perfect, you will be like your teacher. And therefore, you will love your enemies. You will be merciful to those who hate you. And then finally, he says to us that we are not to be hypocritical about helping a brother remove a speck from his eye. Now, these verses are very important, so let me read them to you again. It says, Why do you look at the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, Brother, let me take out the speck that is in your eye, when you yourself do not see the log that is in your own eye? You hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye. And then you will see clearly to take out the speck that is in your brother's eye. What it's showing us here, listen, is not that you are not allowed to tell people they have a speck in their eye. You are not allowed to help your brother. Notice it's not condemn your brother because of the speck in his eye, but help your brother remove the speck in his eye. It says what you are to do is first take the log that's out of your eye, And then you will be able to help take the speck out of your brother's eye. Make sure you understand that, that we are called to help our brother take the speck out of his eye. But before we can do that, before we're able to do that, we cannot be hypocritical about our own sin, about our own failings. This is really the core of what it means to be merciful as God is merciful. This is the core of what it means to judge not lest we be judged. Do not be a hypocrite. Take the log out of your own eye. Understand your own sin. Understand your own need for a Savior. Understand that if it had not been for grace and mercy, uh, you yourself would not have merited anything uh, to do with God. It is all by His grace. You and I have no reason for pride. We have no reason for boasting. We have no reason to um, to desire uh, judgment or wrath to fall upon any other sinner because it is only by the grace of God that you and I are not that sinner. God was merciful to us and God is merciful to the world at large and calls us to be merciful as well. It does not mean we... Um, 
equivocate on what God has called sin or wrong or anything like that. We do stand up for what God hates. We do stand up for that, what he has revealed to us in his word. But we do so with the purpose of lovingly lovingly calling people to redemption, not seeking uh, for their destruction, not taking pleasure in their condemnation, but calling them to turn from their sin and trust in Christ. And we are to do that not hypocritically. We are to do that without condemnation. We are to do that. Um, we are to do that because that shows the world who Jesus Christ is. It shows the world who our God is. He has called us uh, to. He has called us to be merciful as He is merciful, and He's called us to share the the love of Christ with the lost and dying world that He died for the sins of those who would turn to him. And so understand that this is very important for us as believers to understand that we're not to equivocate on sin. We're not to uh, go soft on what God has said is immoral or wrong or anything like that. We are to call it what it is, but we are to do so with a heart desiring the redemption of the sinner, not the destruction of that sinner. The first thing that we do is we take the log out of our own eye and then we see clearly to help our brother, to help our brother take the speck out of his own eye. The point Jesus makes throughout this section is that we are to love our enemies. We are to be merciful to them. We are not to seek their destruction. And so often it's easy for us. It's one thing to say it. You know, you know, we are to love everybody and that's good. And, you know, we have that sense of uh, that kumbaya moment where we love and it's all good. But the reality is when someone offends you, when someone attacks you, when someone curses you or does evil to you or despitefully uses you, Boy, it's easy. It's easy for that old man to rise up and say, you know what? I hope you get what you deserve. But the reality is that you and I were that man. Just like whoever attacks you or despitefully uses you, we did the same to Christ. We sat in his lap. Uh, I sat in his lap and enjoyed the blessings of life and pleasure and enjoyment that he gave. And I slapped him in the face every moment by refusing to worship him, refusing to serve him. I despitefully used him. I abused him. I cursed him with every breath that I took that was not in praise and and, uh, seeking of his glory. And yet he still gave me mercy. That is the heart that we are to do. Last thing, and then we'll go is that when we uh when we're thinking about this I tend to think of it this way because to be honest, that's hard. I mean, it's easy to say that's what I'm supposed to do. It's easy to get alone by yourself after someone has hurt you and and say, you know what, I've got to forgive them. I've got to let this go. I've got to stop this. And then as soon as they show up in your eyesight again, that all of that comes flooding back and then you have to fight that battle all over again. This is the way that I have to think about it. The reality is that Jesus' death is sufficient. It's sufficient for the salvation of all of my sins, for the atonement of all my sins. It's sufficient for the atonement for all of the sins of the person who's hurt me. And if I refuse to offer 
the mercy that God has offered me, if I refuse to offer the forgiveness that God has offering, offered me, what I am in essence saying is that Jesus Christ, his sacrifice, his life, the death that he died, the suffering that he endured is not enough for me. I'm saying, you know, when it comes to this enemy, God, I know that Jesus is enough for you to be satisfied. But he's not enough for me. I need them to do extra. I need them to pay. I need them to apologize. I need them to do whatever. When we think that way, when I allow that to rage through my heart and to go through my mind, and I allow that to fester, what I am in essence saying is that Jesus Christ and his sacrifice is not enough. And that scares me to death to realize that that is what, that's in essence what I'm saying. When I think about it that way, it... uh, the, the necessity of forgiving people, the necessity of being merciful as God has mercy, God was merciful, it slaps me in the face and it it uh, it corrects my my uh, my misconceptions and my uh, poor pitiful me moments. So understand that we are called to show forth the love of Christ. We are called forth to call a lost and dying world to salvation. So that's not diminishing that or lessening that in any way, shape, or form. We're called to uh, denounce sin, what God calls sin. So we're not diminishing that at all, but we're doing so with a heart that seeks redemption of sinners, not condemnation of sinners. Maybe today you uh, are realizing that, you know, I don't have that kind of heart. I don't have the heart that has turned to Christ. I, I, I haven't ever, I haven't ever um, seen the fruits of the Spirit in my life. He says that if you call upon Him, He will answer you, show you great and mighty things. He says all those who call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. He says that if you trust in Him, repent of your sin, and trust in Christ, that He died for your sin, and that He rose again for your justification, and that in Christ the Father looks at you and sees uh, His life rather than your life. He took all your sins upon Him on the cross. You, you understand that. You give yourself to that. You trust in that. And He said that He would save you. Before your head hits the pillow tonight, do business with God. Trust in Him. Turn your eyes upon Christ and trust in His death that He paid for your sin.